alien spacecraft did not crash in Roswell, New Mexico in 1947. You know Flatterfans, I guarantee it. But you don't know who they are because they're afraid of talking about it. This is not a test. This is your emergency broadcast system. Hello and welcome to the 227th Annual Subliminal Session Podcast, your weekly dose of conspiracy theory bullshit. My name is Cody Pal. Phil, how are you? Doing, uh, doing okay, Cody. Sounds like you're about the same. Yeah, uh, God spit in my face again and gave me an illness over my birthday weekend too, so thanks for that. Yeah, it's hitting everybody right about now. I haven't been feeling the greatest for the past about day and a half. I actually, I accidentally um, wore two different shoes to work today. So ah, that was fun. Hell yeah! <laughs> they're the same. They're the same. They're both Vans. They're the same kind of shoe, so I didn't notice it by the feel of it. But when I, uh, it was raining this morning. I looked down to make sure I wasn't stepping in a puddle. And notice that uh, two different color shoe. So. <laughs> you just rocked it like that all day. Yeah, my oh my! I borrowed a pair of shoes for my brother for part of it. The only problem is, so I wear a ten and a half, eleven, and he wears like a thirteen. Damn! So yeah, his, his shoes are a little bit bigger than mine, so I was uh, flopping a little bit. So, kind of. You got to do what you got to do. I will say this, Phil, real quick here. The good part about my sickness, I was able to watch. I believe it's one of your favorite classic movies. Uh, species. I've seen it. Yeah. So is that the one where like the, all three of the movies are just full of nudity basically? Uh, pretty much. Yeah. Yeah. Aliens fucking. Uh, yeah. <laughs> basically the aliens are constantly trying to breed with humans in that movie. And it's always like a hot chick alien is yeah. the main character. Yeah. Alien. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I know exactly what you're talking you know, about. I've seen it. You know, it's funny. I, um, there's a part where the alien guy gets a girl pregnant and they like grow really fast. So the baby's born within like 20 minutes of sex. Right. And yep. the scene was awesome. It's like a baby popping out of her stomach or whatever. And I recorded it, and then I put it on my Instagram and said, I bet this is how Mark Zuckerberg was born. <laughs> and uh, I reopened my Instagram, and then it got removed for violating something. Well, you know, I think uh, he might be a little bit influential <laughs> yeah. in the whole uh, metaphor. So, yeah, probably got, <laughs> probably got removed. Yeah, it. I don't know how they found it so fast, but, uh, yeah, unfortunately, I don't even think anybody was able to see it, but... It gave me a good laugh. <laughs> I'm sure he has a whole team looking yeah, into that. Yeah, I'm sure he does. Yeah. So I had uh, I had some fun. Well, if I had some fun this weekend, but there was also a funny story. So uh, Sunday we went uh, golfing. Me and my older brother. You know, it was a brisk 85 degrees, but you know we weathered it and went golfing. <laughs> You know, you have to go set up a tea time. It's not really kind of in season yet, not until after New Year's. So I was able to get a tea time for the next 45 minutes. Uh, they were trying to figure out like where on the computer I could get a spot. Uh, the problem is the guy who was with her there thought that I was 
already had a tea time, but I just wasn't on the screen yet. And they were kind of fighting about it a little bit. And she said, no, he's nobody. He's not on here. And then she like looked at me. She's like, oh, oh, my God. Like <laughs> that old lady <laughs> kind of like where they try to catch their words and put it back in their mouth. Yeah. So that yeah. was pretty fun. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I love I love that shit where uh, <laughs> when the senility starts to like catch up with them a little bit and they <laughs> they say some fu- some weird shit. Steve, you should have thrown a fit and then you could have gotten a, a cheaper ticket or something. Yeah, it's not the nicest place in Phoenix, but it's a it's a pretty decent neighborhood where this golf course was for I don't know if you know much about golf rates. It was so the lady actually said it would be forty six dollars for two people. So I thought, oh, that's not bad at all. Fuck, you know, forty six bucks for nine holes. It turned out like when I paid because I paid for both my brother and myself, it was forty six dollars each. And I was like, oh, yeah, that's it's much more like it. Yeah, it- I've never been golfing, but from what I've heard, that sounds pretty standard. Forty to mm-hmm. fifty bucks. Uh, yeah, I, I, I'm not. Sure. I'm sure it's the pretty common rate. Yeah, the crazy thing is, even a like this place is considered like a, a pretty decent place. Even a decent kind of course in the valley still is like mostly covered in dead grass. <laughs> it's kind of weird. <laughs> They would if this if this course was anywhere else in the country, it would be like a complete shithole. Really? Because it's in the desert, you know, they can only really afford to water like the fairway and the greens. All the rest of it is just completely like dirt and rock. The whole golf course is a sand trap. (laughs) Pretty much. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) What did you shoot? I guess what's a good shooting number for nine holes? Oh, we did so bad. I didn't even keep track. The best I did was uh, one over on a par five. Okay. So, bogey right. on a five. The most, uh, most of the, you know, lanes or whatever you call them were par threes. And I was catching at least six, five or six on those. So, okay. So you got some work. You got, yeah. you got to work on your mechanics a little bit. Nowhere to go, but up. Yeah. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> I figured you were getting eagle on every uh, every hole. No, if I did, that would be a severe accident. <laughs> <laughs> now, before we start, I really just wanted to mention that we actually got a great review on Apple uh, from one of our fans, Jules3801. She posted on 16th of December 2023, a day before your birthday. Go Norse. Growing up as an Iowa farm girl, I can relate to much of what they talk about. I love all the topics you guys come up with. Thanks for getting me through my many hours of driving. Well, that's a clear sign she's from Iowa because there's many hours of driving involved. <laughs> um, thank you so much, Jules. Really appreciate that, especially, you know, a girl uh, who basically grew up the exact same way you and I did. Yeah, definitely. Just like you said, many hours of driving and you never really go in. Yeah. So, you know, you're still in Iowa after all. You know what's funny? There's a lady at work, right? And her son, I don't want to say what he does, but basically he was working in the Twin Cities and then decided to transfer to Iowa, right? And I'm like, she was so happy about it. I'm like, do you hate your son? Jesus Christ. <laughs> Why are you sending him to Iowa? Come on. Yeah, he's getting too much of the sex and the alcohol and the drugs. (laughs) (laughs) Gotta go to Iowa now. Had to get him out of Sin City, Minneapolis, Minnesota. (laughs) Yeah, he's having too much fun. All right, let's hit it. 
the 1980s, a decade in history mostly forgotten and definitely overshadowed. The 80s were truly an odd and underwhelming period of time, full of big hair, shitty cars, bad music, and cheap cocaine. This decade had seen many changes as strung out hipsters transformed themselves into Wall Street yuppies. The Soviet Union collapse would bring about the end to the Cold War, and the first light had emerged on the horizon of the digital age. The uh, NES, bro, right? Is that what you're talking about? <laughs> yeah, basically. So yeah, it's kind of when computers started, and they started kind of like figuring out how to like connect computers is like during the 80s. Obviously, didn't really come to Iowa until the 90s, you know, but you some know, colleges actually had like an early form of the internet connected, I, you know, computers. As a ironic coincidence that you bring up the 80s, um, mm. when I was laying on the couch all weekend, the 1980s Ninja Turtles cartoon popped up on my YouTube channel. So I went mm -hmm. ahead and watched a few episodes because that was like my favorite when I was a little kid. So got a little piece of nostalgia there. Oh, yeah. It was a, it was a great show. Uh, you, we used to watch that all the time. The Saturday morning cartoons. Yeah. So. Yeah. If you watch it now, like the voice acting and the animation, not that great. But uh, for a whatever, four or five year old kid, that shit was awesome. Who was it? Uh, Uncle Phil who played Shredder? I don't know from uh, the, from, from Fresh Prince of Bel Air. Was it Shredder's? I believe it was Shredder. Was was uh the dad of the family? I can the judge. I can tell you, uh, the voice for Shredder in that cartoon is terrible. Okay, <laughs> it like Shredder. You know, usually you think of that deep voice, and in the show, he's like almost like a kid going through puberty. It's like really awkward and weird. I don't remember it being like that, but all right, it was a long time ago that I saw it. Do so. you got a Mandela I know, effect? I do know that no Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles cartoon they've made since then compares. No, absolutely fucking not. However, this decade was an all blowjobs and roses, as it marked the birth of a mass hysteria, brought on by the Christian right and propagated by mass media interests and opportunist politicians. This confusing time in American history would send bewildered parents into a frenzy, destroying rock and roll records, burning unfavorable books, and launching baseless accusations against those that they had seen as the others. Those despicable few who dared to be different, with long-lasting repercussions which last to this day. I am, of course, referring to the Satanic Panic. Yep. It's funny to look back on now, especially like when you ha watch them videos of the cops explaining how to watch out for Satanists and <laughs> Satanic cults. Um, yeah. Ah, uh, yeah. I I don't even know what to say about this. I it's funny because again, another coincidence. Earlier today, it was in Iowa, actually, I believe, in the state house. They had like the head of Lu. I think it was the head of Lucifer, Baphomet in like a little church of Satan thing. And yep. one of the politicians went and ripped the head off of it. Cause he was so mad. He said it was too evil. I had to get rid of it. Yeah. The funny thing is that actually opens up a whole thing for now they can sue to have the rest of the religious kind of little idolatry stuff taken down, but they decided against it 
and they accepted an apology and i saw this whole thing they accepted the apology and they actually kind of made like they put the head like in some roses so they kind of put (laughs) it back together a little bit i was just like god as a politician okay well i shouldn't say this because like especially he was a conservative guy i mean that should go without saying but when it comes to freedom of religion they don't really they they aren't big on that one they want freedom for religious like you know practices and everything as long as it's their religion yeah yeah so. yeah exactly <laughs> oh my god yeah it's just it's just the whole thing was just fucking ridiculous Oh, yeah, definitely. It's crazy that he's not going to be charged with anything either. He admitted to it. He, you know, destroyed government property, basically, (laughs) you know? Yeah, 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 he did. Yeah, he did. It's no different than if he spray painted on the walls or something, you know, but or ripped down one of the paintings and just, you know, pissed on it. it. Yeah, pissed on it, cut it up or burnt it. He might as well have done that. Yeah. But getting back to this. My plan is for this whole series on the Satanic Panic is to every once in a while kind of occasionally add in an episode from time to time. Uh, Most of these episodes will be the two of us really just kind of discussing the follies and pitfalls of the scared and confused society. Uh, Today's episode, though, will be a little bit different as for this first entry in the series, we will be discussing a little known but truly terrifying group of young men whose deviant sexual and murderous acts line up perfectly with the popularized myth of those vilified satanic cults that the media and church had pulpited so strongly against. For today, we will be discussing four sick and twisted individuals whose two-year rampage cut a swath through suburban Chicago, leaving an alleged 18 victims in their wake. I am, of course, talking about the Ripper a Satan-worshipping cannibal cult led by their supernatural master, an alleged protege of John Wayne Gacy, Robert Getch. Yep, I know these guys here, and... Uh, okay, good. <laughs> uh, yeah, this is... <laughs> they have some bad stuff. Not nice fellas. Yep, this one's... Uh, I don't ever do this, but this one's coming with a little warning. So... <laughs> <laughs> I really should preamble this episode with a little bit of said warning. Uh, I know that I don't usually begin with a content warning like this, but I feel that I really need to warn some of our audience members. This episode will not be for the faint of heart. It is possibly the most horrid and disgusting story that I have ever heard. Honestly, there won't even be like a lot of comedy in parts of this episode. Uh, if you really want something to warm you up to this kind of thing, maybe go back and listen to the two-parter on Jack the Ripper first, as that, which was bad, is not quite as bad as, as these guys. No. This, I yeah, I've uh, I've heard uh, the story of this a few times on a few different podcasts, and yeah, it's, um, yeah, it's, it's crazy to think people like this even exist, and especially coming from a man with the name of Robin. Robin. Yeah, it's an odd. <laughs> I kept seeing that name and just thinking like, God, I have to call this psychopath Robin. Like <laughs> the entire time. It's a little odd. Yeah. You know what? When I was watching Species, um, there's one man that I kept cheering for. And I think there's one man who could have put a stop to all this. And his name is Preston Lennox. 
Uh, played by Michael Maddow. Do you know who Michael Maddow is? No, I probably know his face, but yeah. I don't know him by he's, name. He's one. He's the only male assassin guy in uh, Kill Bill. Oh, okay. You know gotcha. who I'm talking about? Pre- yeah, I know who you're talking about. Very- Preston Lennox sounds that- like the quarterback <laughs> playing for like one of the Ivy League schools. Yeah. Like Harvard or right. Yale. <laughs> right? I'm just like, God damn, you guys didn't even try with his name. You're just like, Preston Lennox. He sounds like an assassin. That That's him, Preston Lennox. <laughs> Preston Lennox. Yeah. yeah, definitely. His 40 times sucks. His grades are really good, and he didn't need the fucking scholarship. <laughs> Preston Lennox. <laughs> not going to the pros either. No way. No, not at all. And to start off, let's talk a little bit about the main character of our episode, Robin Getch. He was born on November 30th, 1953. He grew up with many brothers and sisters, uh, though a lot of his youth he would actually spend living with his grandparents' house. Uh, it was alleged, like after these murders came out, that he may have uh, molested or possibly raped his sister, which caused him to get kicked out of his home. Uh, he did actually uh, drop out of school and kind of go off on his own at the age of 16, married pretty shortly after that at the age of 19. He would actually become the father of three. He would work as a general contractor outside of the Chicago city limits. He would associate mostly with people much younger than he was. He would throw loud drug and alcohol filled parties for the local youth, gaining a bit of a reputation as a bad neighbor from the other residents on his block, as you can imagine. You think if you threw loud drug and alcohol filled parties... Uh, full of teenagers, you might get a bad reputation, Phil. A little bit, yeah. <laughs> I don't, I don't know if it's like our age now, but and if any of our fans are teenagers, I, I, this doesn't include you, but I just could not see myself hanging out with teenage kids. Oh no, yeah, definitely. It is, you know, like from growing up in small town Iowa. The type of dude who's like 29 years old who exclusively hangs out with the local teenagers, you know, you can get that picture in your face. You know exactly who we're talking. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, We hung out with probably some of them when we were teenagers. But yeah, uh, they bought us. They bought us alcohol. Thankfully, thankfully they didn't murder. Yes. Yes, that is very true. But what also what I'm saying is like when you're talking to a teenager, to me, it's almost like. You're talking to someone with a language barrier. That's kind of how I feel too. Like not partying with them, just like regular communication. Yeah, it's kind of like you're talking to a four-year-old, <laughs> but like one that's really not interested in talking to you and yeah. is a little bit held back. Yeah, ah, <laughs> well, I think you're referring to a four-year-old. They don't want to talk to you either, right? That's true. Yeah, but... <laughs> No, the interactions you have with them, like, you know, when you're at a fast food place or something, you're just like trying to spell out for them what you want. Yeah. Yeah. Like, can I please just talk to the robot that's going to eventually take your place? Please. God. Yeah. (laughs) Now, aside from partying with young people, Getch also exclusively hired vulnerable young men to work at his contracting business, uh, finding them, you know, easy to kind of manipulate. 
He would take in these street kids, have them perform all the manual labor for him. Eventually, he would include the young men in his, and it's going to come up later on, supposed ritualistic satanic masses. Now, three of them would claim to have been taken in by Getch. These three men, and I, I will say I've been practicing their names, but I'm going to butcher the fuck out of them. But fuck them. Who cares? They're assholes. Uh, they were Edward Spreitzer, Thomas Cocorales, and his brother Andrew Cocorales. They would accompany Robin in his big red murder van, after which they would do some supposed horrible acts in Getch's attic, which he had actually converted into a satanic chapel. Okay, um, I don't know what's more unbelievable that someone actually has the last name Coco Rallis or that he had a satanic chapel in his attic. As far as the satanic panic aspect, I is this satanic part of this confirmed or is this something you're going to be revealing later? So I'm going to talk a lot about it later on. It's going to come with the investigation okay um they i will say that this is one of those things that you know some of the people who were starting to talk about the satanic panic they would point to this and be like oh see huh see see it's right there so the satanic chapel investigators when they searched Getch's house like old home they actually did find it in his old rental oh so, okay all right yeah. so okay uh, he's given uh satanism a bad name here you know the the thing about like serial killers bringing in young people to like you know work with them you yeah i've heard this you know a handful of times so it, it's an interesting uh tactic i guess they do yeah so the funny thing about that well not really funny but uh supposedly uh, Robin Getch is a alleged, supposed disciple of John Wayne Gacy, who had been apprehended in the Chicago area just a couple of years before these murders took place. Oh, so, okay. Yeah. So there is an alleged um, accomplice, John Wayne Gacy, that was never caught. Uh, John Wayne Gacy never gave him up. People think that it might, in fact, be Robin Getch. Okay. I mean, their preferred victims are extremely different. Oh, yeah. Everything that they do is very much different. Um, kind of, you know, their M their MOs don't line up at all. I mean, everything is, you know, uh, Getch is mostly going after women. John Wayne Gacy's obviously, everyone knows, going after young men. He's burying the bodies under his house, and Getch is kind of dumping the bodies just all around the Chicago area. Um, and then Getch, we'll get into it later, has a, a very horrible, strange MO. That, yeah, like yeah. every sink it it comes up over and over again. It is his main thing. So And I I don't know if you're gonna bring it up, but I don't think Robin liked KFC as much as John Wayne Gacy did. <laughs> Potentially. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know all the on that. But uh KFC was pretty good back then. I gotta, you know, back when I was uh, a little tyke, going to KFC was quite quite a treat. Now it's more of a punishment. Yeah. So pretty sure we're serving pigeon now. Yeah. So I don't know what the hell bird that is, but uh it's something. <laughs> yeah, it's uh that meat's awful gray. So, yeah. Uh, Popeyes. <laughs> go, just go to Popeyes. Do yourself a fucking favor. Absolutely. Um, I will yeah, I will say, so um, there are even like two different types of serial killer. So Getch is more like a Marilyn Manson type serial killer. Uh, 
he does do, you know, things on his own, but he definitely manipulates people into kind of doing things for him, supposedly, allegedly. John Wayne Gacy is very much kind of like he's doing it all himself. Uh, he's publicly, he's a very noble, good man in the neighborhood. Everyone has something nice to say to him. Uh, Getch, the total opposite. Uh, no one likes this guy. Yeah. Everyone thinks yeah. he's an asshole. Basically, any woman he meets, he asks if he can poke their breasts with pins, which we'll talk about later. Yeah. Um, just just a fucking first class asshole. Yeah. Yeah. I, I remember that part vividly. Now, I just want to throw this out there. You said Marilyn Manson, who also oh. was involved in the Satanic Panic, obviously, and may or may not be a cult leader serial killer, but I think you meant Charles Manson. Charlie Manson. But the Marilyn Manson thing is great because remember how much people freaked out about Marilyn Manson? That's true. Yeah, Satanic Panic really hit him pretty hard. Uh, no, I meant old Chucky Manson, yeah, not yeah. Marilyn Manson, <laughs> who's probably a very uh, intelligent, decent uh, person if you ever seen him speak for more than 30 seconds. Yeah. Uh, no, I'm talking about Char- Charles Manson, <laughs> first class <laughs> asshole. <laughs> yeah, yes. <laughs> no, sorry, Marilyn Manson. You're... <laughs> I love your music. For nearly two years, Robin Getch and his crew would abduct women that they had found in the Chicago area. They would stab, humiliate gang rape, and violently mutilate their victims. Though, they would be actually taken down by a young prostitute by the name of Beverly Washington. Her body had been dumped next to some railroad tracks after the murderous cult had thought that she was deceased. She would end up taking all four of the individuals down, this because of her description of Getch and his big red murder van. Also, giving a description of some feathers that were hanging from his rearview mirror, uh, the tinted windows, and kind of everything that goes along, like all the inside. They were able to find this van pretty easily. Okay, so I, like I said, I've heard this story before. Um, If I remember right, the state that this poor woman is in when they find her is pretty bad. Oh, terrible. Yeah. So I am I am actually starting from like act four, basically. I'm starting from the end and then I'm going to kind of go back a little bit to the beginning and then kind of round it out. It's kind of the best place to start the story. It's kind of like the note I was figuring out. It's kind of like the notebook, right? Oh, yeah, definitely. (laughs) (laughs) Just as much horror goes into this story as was experienced by men who were forced to watch that. movie. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah. On October 6, 1982, the horribly mutilated body of Beverly Washington was found clinging to life, as I mentioned, next to some railroad tracks outside of Humble Park in Chicago. She had been abducted that day. This was after that said big red van with the tinted windows had pulled up with the man inside asking her how much for a date. Uh, She told him how much. But he ended up actually offering way more than she had requested, which made her pretty nervous, but she got in the vehicle. Yeah, I would assume if the John is not trying to barter, you know, that should be, you know, that's a big red flag, right? Oh, definitely. Pulling up in a murder van. And of course, I mean, maybe the stigma of murder van wasn't so big back then. But if a John pulls up and you say it's going to be $15 for a handy, 20 bucks for a blowy, and he offers you 200 you might want to just turn and burn. Yeah. Just get out of there. Yeah. Yeah. Um, obviously, being a sex worker is quite a 
extremely dangerous job. But uh, but yeah, this is. I mean, I miss. But you did say this was Act Four, so clear. So have the murders been reported? Like, are kind of circulating up to this point? Are they? They are definitely looking for suspects. Okay, and multiple missing women. Okay, okay. After she was in the van, the man, who she believed was about 25 years of age, would pull out a gun and tell her to get into the back of the vehicle. This was through an opening in a plywood divider that actually separated the cab from the back of the van. The man had ordered Beverly to remove her clothing and he would cuff her wrists, force her to perform oral sex on him, this before raping her and forcing her to swallow some pills. Oof. Yikes. Um, yeah, this is uh, horrible, obviously. Um, are you going to go into what exactly the pills were? Uh, not quite. They are tranquilizers. Oh, I don't exactly okay. know what the, what the brand is. I do know that they were able to connect the uh, murderer, Robin Getch, because when they found the van, they were actually able to find some of these pills on the floor of the van. Apparently, they got caught up in the carpet. It's one of those vans. Ah, okay. It's yep. probably shag carpet? Yep. Okay. It's exactly what you're thinking about. Yeah, okay. So. Yeah, I don't like the I don't like the mental image. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, it's the... We'll show you the picture uh, down at scroll below, and you'll be like, oh, yeah, definitely. That's what exactly I was thinking yeah. of. Yeah. Now, after being forced to swallow those pills... Beverly would begin to pass out. Uh, she recalled seeing the man hovering over her with a cord wrapped up in his hands, and she had thought that she was about to get murdered. However, she would wake up eventually in the hospital after her near lifeless body had been discovered in that park. Her left breast had been amputated by the attacker, and her right breast had been slashed many times. She had also been severely beaten and was the victim of rape. Beverly had nearly bled to death before being taken to the hospital. Jesus. That is fucking brutal. I mean, I guess in Beverly, it's good, I guess, that she doesn't remember having her breast cut off and whatever. That's what it sounds like, right? Yeah, so it's it, it'll keep coming back up in the story. I don't know. Really, you only hear about like being forced to swallow pills just this one time. Uh, it sounds like the Ripper crew really enjoyed doing this to their victims while they were alive. I wonder. I wonder if that's the case. Why just this time they they gave her pills? Yeah, I'm not exactly sure. Uh, it seems like their mo, though, it stays pretty much the same. Kind of like how they do things changes a little bit. Like sometimes yeah. they incorporate a knife. Sometimes it's an axe. Uh, sometimes it's like this with pills. Sometimes they, you know, it always seems like they have handcuffs or restraints. So it's always a little bit different. And I think that might be because it's not always the same members of the Ripper crew doing this every time. It's always Robin Getch, who seems to be like at the forefront of all of this, though he'll claim that he's never involved in any murders. It always seems even though he's leading it, everything's a little bit different. Okay. All right. I kind of see what you're saying there. After Beverly had been stabilized at the hospital, 
she would begin to recall some of the details that she had remembered about the attack, uh, conveying them to the investigators. This was that a slender man had forced her into the back of the van at gunpoint, like I mentioned. She claimed that he was wearing a flannel shirt and square-toed boots. He had had greasy brown hair and a mustache. Also, she gave details about the inside of the van, uh, some of the tools that were hanging from the plywood, and of course, the floor-to-ceiling carpet. And if you scroll down, I have a picture of the van. Yeah. Whenever I see a van like this, even in current day, I I question about what's going on inside of that van. Yes. It, yeah. it, That's what's uh, popularly known as a free candy van. <laughs> yeah. Oh. And if, if it has curtains on any of those windows, yep. I am extra, extra suspicious. Oh, definitely. Yeah. I will say no. right next to it, I think it looks like a Chevy Astro van um, and <laughs> Phil. Riding in style. <laughs> That's a little deep cut no. for Phil and I. Go ahead. Yeah, so I uh, I actually drove around. My vehicle was uh, destroyed. The one that I, the summer before I went to community college, the vehicle I would have taken was actually destroyed. And I ended up having to take a uh, a different hand-me-down from the farm. Uh, next up in the rotation was a blue Chevy Astro van. Yeah. So yeah. it was. <laughs> yeah, I had actually taken out the seats in the back so I could get all my shit in there to move to college. So it was the kind of van that had no seats in it. So yeah. extra creepy. <laughs> yeah, I remember that thing. Uh, if you can find one, you should buy one just for like your midlife crisis uh, car. <laughs> Unless you live in a windy area, if there was even a gust of wind out on the Iowa Plains, holy shit, that thing nearly tipped over. Like, it was like driving a cardboard box down yeah. the street. Yeah, yeah, it was. <laughs> now, three weeks later, on October 20th, police would actually pull over a red murder van with tinted windows. Uh, it matched the description of the perpetrator's vehicle exactly. Though the man driving it really didn't match the attacker's description at all. This man's name was Edward Spritzer. He claimed, though, that he was just driving the truck and that it actually belonged to his boss, Robert Getch. And after police located Robin, they discovered that he was the perfect match for their suspect. He was a mustachioed man with greasy brown hair. He was even wearing a flannel shirt and similar boots to the ones that Beverly had described. All right. Well, I guess it's it's great that Beverly remembered what he looked like. Um, I'm starting to wonder: Did he was he kind of like a Simpsons character and just literally had the exact same flannel on every single day? <laughs> I'm guessing he's uh, you know, a lot of the guys kind of if they're it's not the same shirt, but it's a similar shirt. I'm very well known for wearing a black t-shirt every day. Never, you know, they're always clean. It's never the same one. I have a pile of about 45 black shirts in my closet so, you but you know but also you don't go around killing people so um yeah True. this is fine this guy i'm <laughs> not giving him the benefit of the doubt that he has more than one shirt oh potentially i mean he the thing is he does have a home and a family so i'm guessing his wife probably goes to kmart every once in a while and gets him a new flannel Blue. so it's not like it's not like he's some you know some complete fucking you know what I mean? It's he's he's not what you think of like a serial killer, you know, living in some basement apartment who, you know, plays with fucking machetes all the time. He's 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 a family man. He's got three kids. 
and a wife and a home. Yeah. So. Yeah. So in that regard, he is like Gacy. Yeah. He's well, yeah, he's trying to put up the facade, but he's not very good at it be- because he's a fucking psychopath. That's yeah. the problem. Yeah, that is true. That is true. His facade crumbles because of his insanity. Yeah. Now, during his interrogation, investigators weren't really able to get much of anything out of Robert Get, let alone get him to crack. And it turns out that really just owning a similar looking red van wasn't enough to hold him. Uh, police would eventually be forced to release him due to lack of evidence and a lack of confession, though Beverly Washington would be able to pick him out of a lineup. Also, police were able to connect the red van to the attack of another prostitute, which had happened that same year in the previous summer, when on June 13th, Angel York had actually gotten into a vehicle with a man that she had thought was just another John looking for sex. Though, after she had entered the van, she was attacked by multiple men and handcuffed. One of them had handed her a knife and told her to cut her own breast. After she had mutilated herself, Angel claimed that the man saw that blood and went into a frenzy, taking the knife out of her hand and slashing her breasts multiple times with it, after which he masturbated into the open wound. Oh my god, Jesus, yeah, you were not kidding, this is some of the worst shit I've ever heard. Yeah, it's, uh, it gets, it gets worse. The, yeah yeah that that's pretty bad this it gets worse and like gee you know it's bad when i couldn't even envision a a senator doing this stuff <laughs> well if they go to thailand probably yeah but yeah <laughs> after that the man that had attacked angel closed the chest wound with duct tape he then threw her out and sped away She would attempt to give a description of the men that had attacked her to police. However, the description that she gave hadn't proved to be very helpful, and no suspects had been apprehended from the attack. Though, she would also identify Getch as the man that had violated her, along with that same red van, after his uh, eventual capture. Yeah, um, I'm kind of guessing that the police didn't really... (sighs) care too much about a sex worker right yeah so we're gonna kind of get into a little bit of the timeline um there were some early attacks in 1981 then they took quite a long like hiatus um it seems like they kind of not really went you know undercover uh they basically the you know the bodies weren't getting found for a long time uh there was a quite a bit of time in between the you know the 1981 attacks and the summer of 1982 attacks. So I'm not sure if they really kind of knew that this was all connected with other missing women and murders in the area. But yeah, we hear about it all the time in true crime prostitute. They get attacked, they get, you know, violated and the police, you know, just kind of don't even consider them human. Yeah. So, you know, that's why I was saying like, even the sheer brutality of her attack and it's like the cops, I don't didn't really seem to, I mean, maybe they did. I don't know, but it didn't, it didn't seem like they tried super hard in that one. Yeah. So it's not just prostitutes that these men are picking up, um, which actually may have led to kind of more police attention to oh. it. They would pick up any vulnerable woman that they could find, uh, not, you know, in a crowd of people out alone, usually, 
you know, out on the street, kind of like car broke down, walking to work, something like that. So it's not just prostitutes. So that may have actually kind of helped them along in the investigation. By the time that the attack on Beverly Washington had happened, they were definitely looking for suspects in this rash of like disappearing and murdered women. Okay. All right. I gotcha. There was an investigation, uh, but yeah, I can see what you're saying about how Angel York, uh, being a prostitute, um, you know, it's just such a random violent attack and then yeah. they just let her go. Yeah. You know? Yeah. That is weird, especially with their, their other, like the history of what they usually do. Yeah, definitely. And they used the description that she gave originally after the fact, after Beverly Washington's attack and abduction they use that to kind of go back and be like oh this one's connected oh wait and then there's another woman with her breast mutilated and they kind of like connected the mo's ah, so they realized okay. that these were all being done by the same group basically okay i okay yeah that makes sense yeah i'm not i'm not 100 percent sure if they realized that the same individual or set of individuals was doing this but uh, definitely after the Beverly Washington attack, they figured it out pretty quick. So yeah. that's that's why I start here, because this is really when the wheels start going in motion. Okay. Yeah. As I mentioned, Robin Getch, during his interrogation, had denied any involvement in those crimes, though investigators would have more success with his associate, Edward Spritzer, the man that had been driving the vehicle. Now, he would eventually confess to taking part in seven murders along with one assault. There would be a compiled statement of 72 pages, though he would later retract his accusations against Getch as the murderer. Apparently, this was because he feared him so much and his supposed supernatural powers. Uh, instead, Spritzer would now claim that the murders that he had described were committed by his girlfriend's brother the third member of the Ripper crew, Andrew Cocorales. So he, he's saying Andrew is the main killer? Yes. So basically when he was describing those seven murders and one assault that he had taken part in, he was claiming that like Robin was the murderer. And then from what I've heard, he, you know, they maybe passed each other in the hall or saw each other at some point. And after that, like one look from Robin and he decided to completely change his story. He retracted everything against Robin Getch. Because he thought Robin was a powerful satanic necromancer or something. Yes. So okay. he believed that Robin Getch was in some kind of communion with Satan that all of those rituals that he did was giving him you know the supernatural abilities that he thought that he had you also have to remember remember the part where i said that robin getch uh, found easily manipulated young men all of these men were under the age of 23 and all of them kind of had let's call it Forest Gumpian level intelligence. <laughs> so yeah. not a yeah. You can you can kind of see uh, this also comes up as kind of a problem too because there are people who believe that maybe one if not all three of the confessions that these men made were manipulated by police because back then it was kind of a free for all when it came to interrogations. Yeah, yeah, that is true. I guess I'll have to reserve my opinion 
till like the end of the episode to to hear like to say who I think might be I guess the leader or whatever or the killer you know what I'm saying yeah oh I believe that um there's one person in this group I'm, I'll I'll save it for the end there's one person in this group that I believe maybe had less to do with this than the other three men but yeah I believe that all four of the men at least were involved in the kidnapping if not the mutilation if not the murder kind of deal okay all right now when asked if he was associated with andrew cocorales robin getch claimed that he knew of him <laughs> just not very well uh, though he was able to give the police a current address for andrew uh, it would turn out that the two were very familiar with each other apparently robin was actually andrew's employer and supposedly andrew had lived with robin for a short amount of time in his rented home now after andrew cocorales was brought in for questioning he almost immediately began confessing spilling the beans on his involvement in the abduction and murder of 18 different women also giving explicit details on the group's tactics claiming that they had taken women off the streets bound their hands stabbed them with knives, razors, tin can lids, and can openers, raped these women, and then, which would turn out to be kind of the signature, the MO for the Ripper's crew, they would take a piece of piano wire, tighten it around their victim's breasts until the breasts had completely been amputated. They would do this to either one or both of the breasts, and then apparently they would masturbate either onto or into the breast. So he's claiming, like, all four of them would masturbate into the breast. It's at this point, it's three. Oh, yes, yes, yes. Right, right. So right now we're at three. Okay, okay. okay I get what you're saying. I can understand why the other one isn't here quite yet. If Andrew's yep. spilling the beans. So this is 18 different women, he claims. Yes. So Spritzer claimed to be involved with seven murders and one assault, which I'm guessing maybe the assault is Angel York because she claimed that multiple men were in the vehicle. Yeah. Um, yeah. Also, Spritzer was possibly involved in a kind of a drive by shooting of a drug dealer. So it's it's not like I mentioned. It's not all four of these guys always at this. It's not like, oh, we can't go out and do our thing because we only have three guys and not four. Like there are different. Supposedly, really, there's like different members at different times. But Robin's kind of the linchpin, the, okay. the one that connects them all. All right. So, so, OK, I see. So, yeah. OK, that makes sense. So maybe just like Andrew has went out on more attacks with Robin than, say, um, then spritzer spritzer okay okay that yeah, makes there's sense. the possibility of that here's the thing too though all of these men are complete fucking idiots yeah. and they might be lying too um andrew cocorales he's giving up you got it like he's giving up all the murders but he at this time i mentioned that he is him like his brother is also involved with it we haven't heard anything about the brother yet so he's apparently leaving that all out so to try to protect his brother possibly um there's also i'll mention it later well okay it, it's coming up okay okay now after the confessions were taken 
friends and family members of the three men would be interviewed kind of in an attempt to get a better understanding of their suspects' real world or outside lives. Uh, it's, this is not at all an unusual police tactic. Uh, however, one interview that was conducted would go off the rails quite a bit. This was when investigators quickly realized that the interviewee, the brother of Andrew Cocorales, Thomas Cocorales, was actually a part of this murderous crew. Under the bright lights of the interrogation room, Thomas would begin spilling the beans just like his brother, blowing the lid off the case. As it would turn out that the murder van wasn't the only location of the crimes, as Thomas would claim that the aim of all of this murder and mutilation was to get those severed breasts back to Robert Getch's attic, where a makeshift satanic chapel had been erected. At this place, the men would apparently kneel before Robin as he had read passages from the Satanic Bible. Eventually, all four members would masturbate onto the severed breasts, each taking a slice off of the flesh and cannibalizing it in some sort of unholy communion. Um, wow. Okay, That first off, that's all I can say, wow. Uh, second off, is yep. Thomas the most Forrest Gump of them all? Because, uh... They were just yes. interviewing him about his brother, and he just starts confessing. So, yes, definitely. So, I was going to mention that uh, right about now. I believe that a lot of what he kind of claimed was what he thought was happening. Oh, so okay. It's not. It's not at all clear if Thomas was actually kind of like a part of all of this. So. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. He's kind of a tag along, uh, is what a lot of the articles kind of make it seem like. Do you remember the? Uh, it was always a joke called the soggy muffin. Oh, yeah, soggy biscuit. Soggy biscuit. Yeah. Um, yeah. So essentially, if this is real, this is what these guys are doing. They have a severed breast filled with jizz. And then they're all eating it for some reason. Um, yeah, I, I just, I don't even know what to make of it, Phil. I, it's, is this part confirmed that they were doing this? So, like I mentioned, they did find the Satanic Chapel in Getch's attic. So, kind of what the claim is by Thomas is that Robin would collect all of those severed breasts at one time. They had like kind of a little block of hotel rooms that were all interconnected that he also claimed kind of served as a like a murder spot for the group also happened in the van. Also, uh, they would abduct women and take them into the chapel to kind of do like, you know, long term uh, ritualistic kind of torture, that sort of thing. It's it, there's a lot of. You kind of have to take the confessions at their word. Yeah. A lot of times, too, they retracted their confessions. You know, obviously, when a lawyer got a hold of them and said, what the fuck are you doing? You know? Yeah. Yeah. Obviously. So, um, um, it's every here's the thing, too. Every article you read is a little bit different. It's like a lot of. So you're taking from all four of these confessions. So not all of the dates quite line up and like that sort of thing. So it's kind of hard to pin it all down to like when things actually happen. Once it, like 
like always, I kind of Venn diagrammed it. And with a lot of the dates, just kind of gave you like, well, this is the one that pops up most. So um, I'm wondering, like, we're OK. Robin was married. Right. And this is going on in his addict. OK. How would he yes. possibly have a live screaming woman in his attic for God knows how long it is? wife or children just don't even hear or notice anything so from what i was reading apparently it when his wife went off to work and his kids went to bed is when they would bring these women back to okay. or you know bring the parts of the women back to the attic okay okay i got you yeah also i will say i imagine that his wife so terrified of him yeah uh, basically the moment yeah. that he got arrested she divorced him so Robin's wife would also claim that he would constantly try to slash her breasts as well. Oh. And that one time he had made a one inch cut on her breasts while they were having sex. Yeah, that's the other thing I was thinking. Like, if he has three kids, I'm guessing he and this is how he gets off. Like, he has to be tormenting his wife with something. Yeah, exactly. I mean, there's a lot of stories from the neighbors about basically you know, screaming, coming from the home, the kids just running wild outside. When, you know, all this stuff happens, you know, the neighbors are going to talk and who knows, you know, like everyone kind of wants to be a part of the story, but it seems like the, a lot of his neighbors had problems with him. Okay. So, and his all family right. too. Okay. I could see that. Now, if you scroll down a little bit, I've got a picture of all four of them. Okay. Very 80s and looking. <laughs> Yep. <laughs> so that picture of Robert Getch, either that's a picture of him when he was much younger, because there are pictures of him looking like a lot older and, uh, you know, very 80s style. So in this picture, he's a little bit more cleaner cut. Also, yeah. his hair actually looks washed. I th I'm thinking that he's younger in this picture. Andrew Corrales, Thomas Corrales, or <laughs> Andrew Cocorales, Thomas Cocorales, and Edward Spritzer. Uh, they all look like young men. Thomas Cocorales looks kind of like a uh, like a Matt character a little yeah, bit. The look yeah, yeah. Face. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. They don't. They almost don't even look. I don't. They look like stereotypical '80s people. Like the haircuts, the mustaches. I don't. They're in their 20s and they look like a modern day 40 year old. Yeah, that's everybody back in the 80s and 70s, though. You look at pictures of dudes who were like 23 back in the 70s, and they look like 45-year-old men. They, You know, they're, <laughs> yeah. right, they're, yeah. they're 23 with wrinkles and, you know, fucking neck fat. It's pretty crazy, but... <laughs> <laughs> what the hell happened? Yeah, I don't know. It's one of the weird things, too, is... So the crazy thing I was reading in one of the articles, uh, after... One of their victims had been found. They brought in an FBI profiler to try to figure out, like, who may have done this. And the profiler said that it was actually a small group of men. This FBI profiler claimed that these men were questioning their sexuality and that they were very, like, effeminate men. Which is kind of weird because apparently from their descriptions, these guys were the opposite of effeminate men. Like, yeah. these were more, like, day laborer, like, man's men type people. Yeah. Um, I mean, I guess technically it's unclear if they're questioning their sexuality, but um, yeah, the profiles are usually get pretty close, but not perfect. The group of men thing, though, I think is a good, good guess. Cause I'm assuming 
the cops were not assuming it's a group of people. Yeah. Uh, the crazy, well, really a crazy thing is, so you know how when they bring the psychics in to try to, you know, uh, find a body, uh, you normally it's it's completely terrible. But it's weird when it like they're oddly close. The one of the victims who was actually found in a cemetery, the family had hired a psychic to try to figure out where the body was. And the psychic actually claimed that the body was in that cemetery. The family like searched that cemetery up and down and couldn't find their family member's body. But apparently she just hadn't been like dumped there yet. Really? Eventually, yeah, eventually after the the Ripper crew had killed her and dumped her body. That's where they dumped her body, that cemetery. So the psychic was right, just not yet. Huh. Unless that psychic is involved with the Ripper crew too. Yep. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Now with the confessions in tow, investigators began connecting the dots between missing women in the area and the Ripper crew, including Shu Mock, a 30-year-old woman who... The night of May 29th, 1982, apparently she was being driven home by her brother in the family car. Uh, they both worked at their family's restaurant. Her and her brother had gotten into some kind of argument. It's not clear whether she got out of the car and decided to start walking or the brother had kicked her out of the car. Uh, but she got out of the vehicle somehow and the brother drove away. He thought that a family member would end up seeing her like on the way home because they were right behind them. Her body wouldn't be found until September. It was about a mile away from where her brother had dropped her off. Uh, the autopsy revealed that she had died from a fractured skull. Oh my god, that's so tragic. I, yeah, that brother has to feel like you know complete oh, shit. dog shit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I couldn't even imagine. Like, there's so many times where people like, you know, blame. I shouldn't say this. There's a lot of times where people blame themselves for bad things like that happening. It, yeah, you kind of like, what were you fucking thinking? Just leaving her out in the street. Yeah. You know, yeah. Yeah. It was a different time know. where people like were more like, I don't know. There was hitchhiking and stuff. People were more trustworthy of strangers, I guess. Yeah. Of situations like that. Nowadays, yeah. it's like, no way. <laughs> no, I don't care how pissed, I don't care how pissed we are at each other. You're not getting out in a, you know, on, out on the street in a city. No, we're not. Fuck doing, that. That's not happening. Hell no. Now, as I mentioned, uh, it had been about, you know, four or five months since uh, her body from the time that she was abducted to when she was found. Uh, they really couldn't see much about her and except for the fractured skull so we don't really kind of know like what else happened with uh with what yeah. what you know what went on in the van i suppose there probably wasn't too much left of her body after that long you know what i mean yeah in the chicago summer too yeah it's it's yeah. human hot yeah, yeah definitely a little swampy out there another woman lorraine borowski 21 she would be abducted on the way to work at a local remax office so she had been taken as she was attempting to enter the building. Uh, many of her personal items were actually scattered on the ground in front of the door. Her boss, who showed up about 40 minutes later, actually thought it was kind of weird that she hadn't showed up yet. Uh, he saw all of the belongings on the ground, and he thought that they belonged to some random woman. He actually called the police. There was a wallet. There was purse, everything like that. 
Her body would eventually be found about four months later as well. An autopsy would reveal that Lori had been repeatedly raped. A wire had been wrapped around her breast tightly until it was cut off. Uh, she had been savagely beaten. It appeared that also something had been inserted into the wound from where her breast had been severed. Uh, Lori was eventually killed with an axe, the autopsy revealed. Investigators believed that she was actually kept alive for quite a long time after the attack. Oh my god. Yeah, that... Uh, I, you know, I just don't even know what to say. It's just so fucking horrible, man. Like... Yeah. And it's weird they, like, kill with different weapons and stuff, it seems like, every time. Yeah, and a part of it, too, is part of their supposed satanic masses involved um, having sex with the wound yeah. that they left from the severing the breast. So when it's uh, when it's kind of written down as something was inserted into the wound, it's thought to be a, a their penis, basically. Oh, so, okay. Yeah. I get what you're saying. I, th I in my mind, I went with like, oh, that must have been a knife or something. But OK, that makes more sense. Yeah, kind of the story that goes along with a lot of these like satanic rituals. One of the things that they would do was that, basically. Yeah. Yeah, that's one of the most horrible things I've ever heard. Yeah. Now, yet another one of the Ripper Cruz victims, Sandra Delaware. She was found on August 28th, 1982. Police had found her body on the north branch of the Chicago River. She had actually been done under a bridge. Uh, Sandra had been stabbed, strangled. Her left breast had been amputated as well. Her wrists were bound together uh, behind her back with shoestrings. Around her neck was her bra. Uh, the autopsy would show that her body had been found only six hours after her death. Oh, damn. So this is when they found it uh, pretty quick. Yeah, she was found pretty quick. So it seems like it was a pretty quick death for her which is much different than the last one well considering all the stuff that they did and like they like to do this while the victim is alive i don't know death but she was definitely found pretty quick after her death so a lot of what a lot of the ones that we were talking about before had been basically left out to you know decompose uh her body was quite fresh when they found it that's why there's so much more information on this woman Oh, okay. Okay, that makes sense. I wonder yeah. if they... Do you think there's an aspect of, like... Like, some of these guys, these killers, like to, like, pr leave a presentation, I guess, is the best way to put it, but uh, of, like, the victim's body to ensure it I, was found? I don't... Okay, so here's the thing. These all seem like kind of just... They just dump the bodies. It's, it's not... There's no real mention, like we were talking about Jack the Ripper, and he definitely presented the body. Uh, there's no real mention of, like, presentation. It's just kind of like they rolled them out of the van and moved on sort of thing. Yeah, yeah, okay. Yeah. Yeah. So they It's didn't... not like, oh, and it's, and it's very random, too, where they dropped them off. They just kind of, like, got them out of the vehicle and went on. So, yeah. Yeah, they didn't have, like, a specific dumping ground or anything. Kind of goes along with the theory that it was mostly, like, Robin Getch's show, and his whole thing wasn't the presentation. It was all about the cutting of the breasts. Like, that was his thing. Yeah. The 
the before and the after, it seems like all of that changes. It's mostly about that. Yeah, that's it's what it, it seems like. Yeah, that, I'm not a, I'm not an expert or anything, but that's really what it seems like is he doesn't care how it starts or how it ends. He's all about that middle. Yeah. So, yeah, it's very clear what he like or like what his thing is. Oh, definitely. And and also, too. Really, a lot of serial killers, you know, they want a specific race, a specific age, look. You know, they want all of these specific things. Oh, they're wearing high heels and that sets them off. Oh, they're, you know, it's a a young man or it's this or that. It basically is just any woman of a pretty widespread of ages, all races too. There's African-American women that are murdered by this crew Schumach is an Asian woman, white women, Hispanic women. It's really all racist. So you can really see it's not about the people to him at all. It's no. all about kind of the the cutting off of the breasts. That seems to be like his thing. His his main thing is that. I'm guessing his only like precursor to choosing a victim is that they have breasts. Pretty much. Yeah. yeah. The victims that they pick out are uh, vulnerable women who are alone, not in a crowd. After that, any race, you know, kind of any age. And yeah, obviously they, they have to have breasts. But yeah, I mean, the ages range from like, you know, early 20s, late teens to in their 30s. So. Okay. All right. Yeah. Rose Beck. A 30-year-old woman from the Chicago area had been found dumped under a stairwell in an alley. The autopsy showed that Rose had been stabbed repeatedly. Uh, she had been strangled with her own black sock, raped, her breasts had been mutilated, and her face was beaten so badly that she was unrecognizable. Uh, it was a determined that she was eventually killed via multiple hatchet wounds to the head and face. Oh, Jesus Christ, man. It's just... Just the mental imagery is just horrible. Oh, definitely. Yeah. The thing is, too, it's so crazy. We talked about, you know, Jack the Ripper what, two weeks ago, three weeks ago, and it's all of the his victims. It's so famous. Everyone's heard about it. This was I, honestly, I was meaning to do a, just a very big episode on the Satanic Panic. Then I saw this story and this became the whole. Th yeah, I I don't know why. I've never heard of this. Like. I don't know why this one isn't talked about like some of the others. Um, you know, I've heard before it's because of the brutality. Um, yeah. It could be because I, you know, there's also an aspect to that. There's a lot of unknowns, I guess. Like they're pretty sure these four are the killers, right? But I guess they don't for sure know which did which and whatnot. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, they're pretty sure. So Robin Getch, it's kind of weird. He's the only one who never confessed to any of the murders. Uh, but they're actually pretty sure that he's the ringleader, kind of the whole thing that ties all of this together. The reason why they all showed up to, you know, do anything is all because of Robin Getch. So, like, ultimately, it was determined that Robin had used his Charles Manson-like manipulation ability, like I mentioned before, to coerce the three other men into becoming his accomplices, acolytes even. Uh, Spritzer and the Cocorales brothers would claim that Robin definitely had satanic powers, mostly the ability to control their thoughts and actions. Apparently, he had some kind of a, a look or a stare that could just completely change your whole mind, 
attitude, mind, whatever. Uh, as for Robin Getch, he would never admit to any of the murders, and he would only actually be found guilty of the aggravated assault that he had committed against the women who had lived that I previously mentioned. Uh, this was because without any confessions and not a lot of like evidence for any of the murders, he would never be convicted of any of those murders that I've talked about, though it turns out that his charges were more than enough to add up to what would become an accumulated life sentence, coming to a grand total of 120 years behind bars. Damn. Yeah, it's too bad, like, the murders weren't blamed on him, but I almost thought for a minute you were going to say, like, he got two years in prison and he's just walking around now. But uh, clearly, yeah, uh, he's he didn't get out. When you so listen to all the small town murder and everything, when you hear that they can't be convicted of a murder, you always do worry like, oh, they're going to get like 12 years, four with good behavior, and then they're, you know, in a halfway house for six months and they're back out on the street. Yeah. But yeah, no, they made sure to bang him up good with every charge they could and got him, you know, the 120 years. Basically, all of his sentences were back to back. Like none of them like melded into each other. I I actually think... The fact that Robin gets still is like claiming he's innocent is a pretty good indicator that he definitely is the ringleader because he's probably such a narcissist that yep. he has no problem lying about it. Oh, definitely. Yeah. I mean, who knows exactly how the other three, like how much involvement they had, but. A lot of them did claim like during their confessions that when they started kind of doing this with with the crew and with Robin, they were disgusted by it. Even like while they were, you know, kind of seasoned in all of this, they were still disgusted by it. Uh, you can definitely see that they had a lot of like guilt towards all of this. They claim that they were being manipulated. Who knows? You know, one of those deals. But yeah, definitely if like you read into the story you'll figure out like it's it's probably it's robin getch though there are store like i mean the whole narrative is built around it so who knows i mean i don't want to take his side even a little bit because you know if if he's even guilty of a small percentage of any of this if he's even just only guilty of what he did to beverly washington then i think he should have been executed for what he did because that was pretty fucking yeah that's Horrible. If you ask me, though, um, the them threes talking about the satanic powers and all that and that he was controlling them with it. Yeah, that sounds like three dumb dumbs who have a good lawyer yep. who told them to say that because the satanic panic is a hot topic and the government's willing to believe anything. Their trials were all taking place during the mid 80s. So definitely the. Satanic Panic was in its fucking peak yeah. during their trials. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah, definitely. So, yeah, you could use that as a defense for sure. Oh, definitely. Yeah. Now, getting through this really quick, uh, the, the rest of the three, uh, it's a little interesting. So, Thomas Corrales, the one who had kind of admitted to all of the, you know, the Satanic worship and, you know, put the real cherry on top. Um, he ended up getting 70 years. Andrew Corrales and Edward Spritzer were both sentenced to death. Uh, Andrew Corrales would actually 
uh, be executed in the state of Illinois, he would be one of the last people to be executed in that state before they put a moratorium on executions. Edward Spritzer's sentence was actually commuted to life in prison. Uh, Thomas Cocorales, because of kind of a weird thing, uh, instead of like the whole 70 years, apparently because of good behavior, he was actually able to get half of his sentence, 35 years, taken off, and he was released in 2019. Wow. Okay. So he's out there on the street right now. Yeah, the family of the victims and uh, a lot of locals were raising a big stink of it. So he is registered on the like criminal sex, you know, all of the lists you can be put on. I'm guessing he's probably put on. Um, but yeah, so he's not in prison anymore. So basically the state was trying to argue that instead of being in prison, they should put him in a kind of a mentally mental hospital for sexually violent people apparently that was denied okay and they're all still alive right now andrew cocorales uh thomas's brother was executed oh sorry yes yes yeah but i mean 90s at the age of 35 he was um robin has to be let's see yeah he's in his 70s now right yeah 70 yep yeah he is a year younger than my mom's he's yeah yep and he's still kicking, huh? Yeah, apparently he's still alive. Uh, so is Edward Spritzer. Uh, he's the one whose sentence was commuted from death to life in prison. So apparently they are both alive. Uh, Andrew, obviously executed. Thomas is out, I guess. So it's kind of <laughs> it's kind of crazy that Andrew's executed, but Robin is not. But I guess if there wasn't enough evidence against robin you know or didn't get him for murders and that's pretty much impossible yeah we're just lucky that he didn't only spend like 12 years in yeah honestly yeah considering he was never tried for murder um they they like i like i said they basically took every single charge they could it seems like and stacked it on top of each other to keep him in jail for as long as they can yeah and i think they accomplished that goal too Uh, 120 years yeah, it's nice when they actually do that. So, oh, also, all of the appeals for Robin Getch and Edward Spritzer I was reading have been, you know, they've used them all up. Obviously, it's been fucking, you know, 40 some almost 40 years. So, yeah, they are apparently staying right where they are. So that's good. That is very good because these guys are some of the worst uh, monsters I've ever heard of. Yeah, definitely. Robin Getch. Was he the one? I I read that one of them was out of control at 89. I'm guessing it was him. I'm hoping that even at 89, they don't give him give him a give him an out. No, I I'd be most prisoners do not make it that long. Um, oh, definitely. So yeah. I would doubt if he'll even make it that long. But uh, <laughs> yeah, you got a you got a sore tooth in prison. They. They pound that shit right out. You get the about the worst medical care uh, in the world yeah. in a prison. Yeah, so. absolutely. Um, <laughs> and you're in America too. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's bad on the outside too. Um, so what I'm thinking here is I don't know the satanic thing. I kind of feel like Robin, albeit he was a dum dum, was mm. smart enough to 
convince the three others that he actually might have had powers or was doing this for some sort of religious purpose, but maybe it was just his way of like conning them into helping him do it. Yeah, it's amazing that, I mean, that's, there's a saying, the only way to keep a secret between two people is if one of them's dead. It's amazing that there were four people, like allegedly, whatever, you know, that were in on all of this at various times doing various things. Four people and like none of them came forward. None of them cracked, slipped up, anything like that. It took being interrogated by the police for kind of the less intelligent of the four, you know, the three members I'm talking about. Yeah. And every single article you read kind of talks about how when Edward Spritzer was brought in, eventually he cracked. Robin never did. Then, you know, Andrew Corrales was brought in. He cracked. And then Thomas Corrales cracked on himself. They didn't even know he was a part of it. They just thought he was just some dude who was Andrew Corrales's brother. I keep on saying Corrales. (laughs) Corrales's brother. (laughs) They thought he was just some guy. And then basically, like, he gives himself up just, you know, in an interview with them. Yeah, I would say that pretty much confirms he's not the brightest guy. Yeah, it... I don't know. I think Rob, like I said, Robin not confessing to me reinforces the belief that he is probably the main guy because he probably just is so psychopathic that he just doesn't, will never admit that he does this stuff or did that stuff. Yeah. Something I was thinking about Robin, had it not been this for the sexual deviance, we could have him as a, like on an episode about a cult leader. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he, I don't think he is top tier when it comes to everyone always claims like, oh, he's a great manipulator. He's this and that. I mean, look at the dum-dums that he got to follow. Basically, he had to have carousel of teenagers come through his home and party in order to find these three. Yeah, yeah, that is very true. Um, I, I don't know. The cult thing is kind of like a, I don't know, it. It's hard to say, in my opinion, because I don't know if I necessarily believe that he believed the Satanist stuff. Oh, no, he was doing it for his own. Yeah, Yeah. no, I don't believe that he thought that he was actually, you know, communing with the devil or any of that stuff. I think it was all a show to keep the other three in line. Yeah, 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 Yeah. for sure. Yeah, without it was all about his fucked up mental. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Well, guys, um, thanks for bearing with us when uh, we're not (laughs) feeling that well. My voice, I could probably tell it's a little funky, but uh, I did my best to power through this, and Phil's did his best as well. Well, if you are as disgusted as us and you want to tell us about it, where can they contact us at, Phil? Yeah, I thought you were going to say thanks for bearing with us through this episode. So you can get a hold of us at our email subliminaldpodcast at gmail.com uh get a hold of us you know we love all the messages uh love all the instagram messages as well subliminal deception podcast on ig uh it's been a little cool for the past couple of weeks i'm guessing it's the holiday everyone's got better shit to do but get a hold of us we love the episode ideas love everything you know still getting quite a few messages so thanks for that cody you also have an instagram account yeah you can follow me at cody's above thank you To everyone who follows me and sends me a message and does everything like that. Thank you very much. The last thing we ask you guys to do is log on iTunes, leave a show five-star review. 
doesn't particularly matter what you type in the box. Just type something, hit five stars, hit submit, and we greatly appreciate everyone who's taking the time to do that for us. If you're a Spotify listener, it's even easier. Just hit five stars, hit submit, and we also greatly appreciate everyone who's taking the time to do that for us as well. Well, guys, um, yeah, I don't know what else to say. It is a gross episode, and I hope you all have a Merry Christmas. We'll see you guys next time. Happy Festivus. <laughs>